Hello and welcome to another Cinematrimony. I am your film nerd's host, Matt Scalisi, and uh, with me as usual on Cinematrimony here, my lovely wife, Francesca. And, oh, you sound a little raspy there, buddy. Nate, you just noticed that I've been sick for four days? Oh, Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. So, we have another little special treat um, like we get every once in a while here on uh, on Film Nerds, where Francesca and I got to see a film pre-release, but this is this is probably the biggest release that we have seen, you know, early I would say at so. one of these screenings. Oh, you know, it's been out in Europe for quite some time. Has it? Uh huh. I didn't know that. I did. Well, what we... I listened to European film podcasts. Okay, then. So well, so what we're seeing is uh, one of. Steven Spielberg's two Christmas releases this year, The Adventures of Tintin. And Snore Horse, yes, <laughs> Score Horse on that one. <laughs> You'll be getting that podcast eventually, but... Will you? Um, but... Planning to do a cinematrimony alone. Oh, there will be a War Horse. Yeah, you're, you're definitely coming to that. But, so anyways... Um, I abhor... I'd like to... It. Oh, that's pretty hard. Um, you abhor it? Well, no, I was trying to... I was. See what I was doing with the yeah, yeah. wordplay? I so know. abhor horse. I get where you're going. Oh, jeez. Uh, Francesca, I want to ask you, before we talk about this, kind of what your background is on this a little bit. Because I'll tell you how little it is. I thought Tintin was the dog. You thought it was Rin Tintin. Well, no, I just thought that was the... I thought, I thought it was about the dog. I thought the dog's name was Tintin. <laughs> <laughs> so... As opposed I, to snowy. However, comma, I also... Uh, Went to Geneva. Well, I went to a bunch of places uh, after my senior year of high school, and mm-hmm. we land, we ended in Geneva. And our hotel, I don't know why, had like life size figures of uh, what I now know as Tintin and Snowy, but what I thought was Tintin and that guy well, with Tintin, the red hair. Tintin is obviously a huge deal in Europe. It's like yes. really highly beloved. I I knew somewhat about it because they actually had an animated series that ran on Nickelodeon and I, I'm not going to be able to remember what era this was, but at some point in my life, the Tintin cartoon was on Nickelodeon and I always thought it was really boring. And, you know, because it's like, there's really not, if you think of it as a, as a character, there's not really a lot going on. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but you know, like if you had to describe that comic book and what the premise of it is like, it's just like, Oh, it's just a, just a guy wearing a sweater doing stuff and pantaloons, right? <laughs> With his dog. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, but I mean, so, I mean, we, neither of us really had much anticipation for this. I definitely kind of gave a big WTF when I heard this was going to be a, it's a kid's movie. Calm a, it down there. A Spielberg project because, it just didn't sound very appealing to me. And, you know, I've not been a fan of motion capture. I've not been a fan of most 3D that I've seen. But I would have to say, having seen this, Spielberg sort of defied my expectations on well, every front. And you know what? I'm I'm going to blow your mind here and tell you that multiple times during this movie, I was just struck by the... By the oh, 
I've been working really a lot. It's okay. I was going to like make this beautiful pronouncement and then we'll I forgot go, what try, word I was going to say. Try it again. Uh, multiple times during this movie, I was struck by the visuals, which is not usually a thing that I'm into, but this movie was outrageous. Like, it was the motion capture. It was, I mean, it was like you were watching real people. There was nothing yeah. creepy about it. And, and one part that I don't remember, it happened a few times where I noticed that there was eye acting that was happening. Uh-huh. And that was really, I think, what sold it, which, of course, you know, famously Polar Express, everybody had the dead eyes. Well, this one, like, there was this, there was a part where Tintin's looking at something and he was, like, squatting down and looking at it and he, he acts with his eyes. Yeah. Like, he kind of squints his eyes and does the thing. And I, it's just, it was stunning to me because, he, and also, you know, Tintin looks like Tintin is supposed to look. But I totally also saw Jamie Bell. Like, there was an element mm. of, like, no, like, I could see that they kind of animated him into it. Well, you know? I just think it's the, it, it's, the, I think, like I the wouldn't have known. Choices, I guess. I wouldn't have known how to put a finger on why this is the best motion capture I've ever seen and why I liked it until you said that. But I think that's what it is. I think there's some kind of difference in the face that makes the biggest leap between the Zemeckis, uh, motion captures and this well, is something in the faces that that is a huge leap forward for this which to be fair there has medium. been a fair i mean polar express happened a long time ago yeah but zemeckis made but beowulf pretty recently and here's your thing here's and your difference. mars needs moms or whatever the crap who was in was. charge of uh the visuals and whatnot mr jackson who well peter jackson and steven spielberg <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you what their individual duties were here but i know they were both duties. involved did you just laugh at duty? No, I didn't. Yeah. But. Uh, but I think that's your, I mean, there's your difference. The motion capture. Peter Jackson's hand, obviously, mm-hmm. was involved. Well, Peter. I so no, I mean, Peter, the words and Peter, the mouth and the Peter Jackson obviously cares about that stuff because you go back and he's the guy who did the first ever. CGI event. Well, yeah, but Joint, the, if you but will. the first ever CGI character that wasn't that that actually was taken seriously, you know. Well, I mean, I, it says something too that you genuinely. I mean, just so many times it took my breath away. Like, and and forget about the action sequences, which were crazy, but just people walking around, and I was like, oh my! And they did a lot of things with mirrors. They kind of did. I wanted to like, talk to you about that visual things like that that well, were, you know, clearly a little bit of a. I kind of nailed that motif down about halfway through the movie. There is a thing. There's a running visual gag that Spielberg is doing in this movie, and it has to do. I think the point of it is Spielberg showing off some new things you that he thought of to do with right. 3d because and what what the gag is basically he kept looking well, glass for, mirrors it's anything that distorts an image he was looking for and so i think the first time i noticed it was there's a magnifying glass that he holds up and so we actually see through the magnifying glass so we're already seeing in 3d and then oh yeah we saw it in 3d w- listener we right to mention that yeah but we're already seeing in 3D. Then our 3D perspective gets thrown off in this one little spot of the screen. And he does it constantly. Every chance he gets in the movie, there's reflections. There's looking through bubbles. There's looking through glass. Looking through glass. Yeah, the bullet, the bulletproof glass thing uh, at a certain point. No, but I mean also the whole thing with the ship. He's looking through the glass. There's just right. looking through windows. All kinds of 
opportunities Spielberg took to distort the image, which is a way of playing with 3D. Because if 3D is all about making our perspective more realistic when we're watching a movie, then he's going, okay, well, I'm going to mess with that. I'm going to, I'm going to take a different angle at it. And I do think, I don't think anybody's really exploited that yet the way that he did here. And he made the 3D really way more interesting than it normally is. I think by that, by doing those little tricks constantly. Yes. And that is the other thing. In addition to just the flat out visuals, the look of the film, I actually liked the 3D of this. One. I did too, and I'm not into the that. The brightness and, and was that well really was well do, calibrated, or whatever it was. Well, to me, that has to do with you know. Well, to be fair, I I think the film is a little long. It 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 was a little draggy, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of big action set pieces that are really fun to see in 3D, and there are things that you could only do with the motion capture because that's the thing. Yeah, I started to think while I'm watching this movie, this looks so realistic. Like, I mean, yes, they're able to make these characters look more like caricatures, and obviously they're recreating people from a comic book, and they were trying to do them justice Mm -hmm. in the fact that they are cartoonish. But I was going, well, wait, if motion capture is this good and can look this realistic, well, what's the point of it? Well, suddenly you realize because there's a, spoiler alert, a crane fight, as in, like, you know, two people basically, like, dueling with cranes, and that's like, you know... That would be a logistical nightmare if you did it in, you know, if you tried to actually do it with practical yeah, sets right. and whatnot. But then also they did a lot of, the whole sequence with the, um, the backstory of, I don't remember anybody's name, it was two days Sir ago. Francis. Sir Francis, that, you know, they were able to do these wonderful transitions, which mm-hmm. they, especially there, that was where it was most noticeable, but they did it in a few different places where, you know, change of scene, they kind of faded in and yeah. out from what was happening and... Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, I was like, well, there's there's the value in the motion capture. Like, it's not just climbing the mountain because it's there, but you can actually do some things that would be logistically either impossible but they're more or very, very difficult. But they're more believable and spectacular because they look so close to being real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, criticism-wise, I agree with you, it runs a little bit long. And I think, here's here's the real... Because the action sequences that you mentioned are as good and creative and surprising and fun as anything Spielberg has ever done. It's really up there for him. It's so, so well done. I mean, it's really, he hasn't done, he hasn't done anything like that. (coughs) Maybe I was trying to look back in his filmography. I want to say that Saving Private Ryan is the last time that Spielberg was this, yeah, but that was working whimsical. this hard. Yeah, it's not whimsical. It's it struck me as Indiana Jones. It is very Indiana Jones. That it was kind of there's like physical yeah. like comedy happening around them. Right. That, that they're, you know, doing practice. But Jurassic but Park funny stuff is happening. Jurassic Park is probably the last comparable thing to this that Spielberg did. But I do think here's here's the big difference that I would say is a little bit of a criticism I would have for it. Is that most Spielberg movies have this very warm, gushy center because the main character usually is going through an emotional arc and Spielberg weaves that into everything else that's going on. And that's what makes something feel in part Spielbergian. In this case, the main character is really not much of anything. He's, he, he could be anybody. It's, it's, there is an emotional 
plot line, kind but of. it involves Captain Haddock. It right. doesn't involve the main hero of the story. Well, and even then, that's so, not terribly... He's not a very charismatic hero. You know, it, he's just kind of a placeholder for, almost like for the audience, you know? Um, so yeah, I guess... the audience does have, you know, 17th century sailor ancestors who are being avenged by... No, I'm talking about Tintin is the placeholder for the oh, audience. Wow, wow. Because he's just along for the ride, really. He doesn't really... He's, there's not There's not really a character there, you know? Well, it's a little bit, you know, dare I say it. What? The Harry Potter character. That, oh, I Harry think Harry has, Potter has a lot more going on to him than Tintin Going does. on to him, but he as no, a character... I mean, like, he's you know, got some, some stuff. He's got some hang-ups. You know, I'm, shut right up. Don't act like I don't <laughs> love him with my whole heart. But I'm saying, you and I know because we read those nerdy books of essays... That, you know, like, Ron and Hermione both have these, like, very dynamic characters. Mm-hmm. And Harry's, it's more stuff is happening to him. And I it's agree. Because you are he. I agree, know. to some extent. I don't know if we're ever going to get through a podcast where I don't Without find Harry Potter being brought Harry into Potter. it. But I do think that, I do think there's enough of an emotional thing no, going on with it's Captain that, Haddock that it, that it still feels <laughs> Spielberg-ish from that standpoint. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe that... Little, you know, the fact that it isn't real people, maybe that's keeps us a little bit arm's distance. Maybe, too. maybe. But, uh, you know, yeah, I would say... But I love fun. the storyline. The Captain Haddock storyline, right? That it's this... Uh, and Well, this is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this in as little a spoilery way as possible since, since we're so out ahead of this movie. But, I mean, basically, the, the, the premise of the movie is, right, we've got a, a drunk old sea captain who is sort of trying to reclaim his his family birthright and as a part of it we see his grandfather who was this sort of great seafaring adventurer and we get flashbacks to that and you know there's sort of this connection being made between the generations and and uh but I, I do think, and I, I want to go back and talk specifically about some of these action sequences because I think there's there's two of them that I would think that I would say are two of the coolest action sequences that uh, certainly they're two of the best scenes of the year, but they're two of the cooler action sequences I can remember in recent years. And one of them is the the fight, you know, the the sort of flashback between the the attack on the unicorn by the pirate and it's just the unicorn is a ship listener the unicorn is a ship it's not a mythical beast but it's so calm down nobody's hurting a unicorn so creative and there's so much going on and uh and you know there's there's this sort of uh i mean the the best gag of that whole scene is the idea that the two ships get their masts tangled up and so yeah. there's a period of time where we're fighting sideways right you know and it was, it was almost like inception it almost sort of reminded right. me everybody of that. calm down no it sort of did because you're you're turning the landscape which again is something that you couldn't do well obviously christopher nolan can do but right you know but at that great expense right that it's that is something that which again i mean i really do feel like you know when you get down to the brass tacks this is a little bit of a showboat movie, you know, mm-hmm. going like, look what we can do. Oh, but yeah. they did it so freaking well that like, yeah. because actually and, and the storyline and the plot a little bit, it took me a really long time to even figure out what the point was. With yeah. The, there's a lot of MacGuffins 
hanging out. And once you do, movie. it is pretty gratifying, but it was genuinely like yeah. halfway through the movie before I started to even yeah. really understand what we, what the point was, what we were trying to get But But to. The, you mentioned the, the crane fight. That wasn't one of the two scenes I was going to mention, but that was cool too because it it's actually a callback to that flashback oh, yeah, fight scene because they're sword fighting but with giant crane machines. You know, just like dumb, their ancestors did. It is nothing did. like Transformers. No, it is not. It's very cool. But the other scene that is, is the coolest thing ever is Barat, was it? it's it's um, well they're in this Middle thing? Eastern city and no, it's not Middle Eastern it's in Africa it's like Morocco yeah you're right it's in Morocco uh, <coughs> but what is done is essentially I guess we'll we'll call it the uh, the scroll chase but basically there there's a, a MacGuffin. That is being chased after, and it's done in one, well, probably and, ten minute long shot, an, an unbroken shot, and that's not like impressive because it's like CG, but it's so clever. Village, and they're going through all the, you know. I mean, there's not a, there's not a fraction of a second of that scene where there isn't something spectacular going on, and it's just one crazy clever gag leads right to another. And they are all clever. They're not they're not silly. They're not like things that you've seen a million times of. Somebody gets hit in the head with something and falls over. It's like probably ten or fifteen times on the course of this long one shot, I laughed because I was like, Oh, that's so that's so clever. Well that's, and that's the one particularly that made me think of Indiana Jones that there's this yeah. kind of you know, if he could like, have, I can't believe this is happening. If he now. could have done a, a ten minute one shot in one of the original Indiana Jones movies, he would have done it. I think, mm-hmm. and it would have been something like this. But everything, everything about it, all the action set pieces, and I don't know how much of it comes from source material and how much of it Spielberg invented. But there's so many little ideas like that in the movie, uh, where. It's just well, again, it's the heroes thinking of a funny way to solve a problem that you almost, you know, you really do have to be a pretty smart person to come up with the, these little MacGyvered ways well, of doing like, things. You know, the the scene where, and, it, and it, it kind of has a payoff that it's a joke, that it's this very tenuous situation where Tintin's trying to get some um, keys off of, it's like a a bunker yeah. room what of a, great a bunch of scene. like people working on the on the boat. They're a bunch of sailors all sleeping, asleep, yeah. And they because they're used to sleeping on a boat, <laughs> they're all like sliding off of their bunks and like but so violently on them, yeah, and like yeah. falling off of them and like but they're all just sleeping. But he has to like very tenuously get this key like off of you know right. the key ring or whatever. But guys will slide forward and they'll like sit up. And, yeah. and flop forward. It's oh, it's so great. But like yeah. the thing is, like you know, ultimately it's kind of. And this isn't even like a big spoiler, but it, it there's a little joke, and he realized it wasn't actually even that. Big yeah, of a deal. right. And, of course. And then like you know that like you go okay, well if you were going to trim stuff out of the movie, you could really trim that out. And there's like kind of. But a it was lot fun of, though. Well, I mean that's that's, exactly that is the it. point All of the movie. Things, that, you know, and, like, the whole thing in the airplane. Like, that was another action set piece, and it was really not that necessary, but... Right. It was amusing. It was a moment for suspense and a moment for more of this, you know, physical comedy. Again, not being pratfalls, but just, like, you know, physical stuff is happening that's comical, which is really just cleverness. It's physical cleverness. Is right. That's happening. That it's just... It was really... It was really just so much more enjoyable, like, than I expected it to be. Again, the story was kind of fluffy, 
But the experience of watching it was so good. And but I they don't say, put you I through. recommend seeing it in 3D, too. I, I do, too. And, and you know, we have our friend Ben Flanagan has basically already come out and sworn off 3D forever. He's, he's decided that he's seen enough and he doesn't think well, there's any value to it. But people have said, now, you and I have not seen Hugo yet, but people have said that it's 3D finally done right. And I would say that if it's anything like this, maybe maybe what it takes is a, a director that really understands the visual rules of filmmaking in the first place. Right. Somebody who actually is just a great filmmaker, and they can take that, you know, th- they can use that third dimension as just another... Uh, another part of their great filmmaking skills anyway. Uh, because I certainly think Spielberg took the 3D as a challenge and said, all right, what, what things can I say with this tool? What, you know, what, what can I add to the scene and, and to the sort of palette that I have here? And, you know, he put some thought into the 3D, and it wasn't just ladders coming out of the screen. You know, it, he 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 did what you expect Spielberg to do with anything, which is he came up with the cleverest use possible of it. Well, and I, and I, I imagine Scorsese time, does something similar. I can only think of one time in this movie where there was a like something coming out of your face, and I almost wonder if that was just the, a, the, like, a joke, the cane, because it was so right? like. Silly, and it was the only thing that felt like that yeah. was like whoa. The can- yeah, the it, it almost yeah. It I'm did sort of it strike was just like you a little as bit of like a joke, a little bit of yeah. a joke. Wink, like this is what people because mm-hmm. you know. Otherwise, I mean, that's the thing. Ultimately, I don't. I want three D not to be distracted. Like, mm-hmm. and that sort of it was sort of conceived to be like, oh, piranhas are jumping at your face. But like, but really, this is a movie that's about I just want to be visual immersed. spectacle. And yeah, and pulling you into these cool worlds that they set up. And to me, the 3D made the the two big action sequences I talked about. I I definitely feel it added to the spectacle of those scenes. I think those scenes are better in 3D than they would be otherwise. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to said, think of a couple. I of, think it's a clever enough movie. I mean, I don't think I don't think it's not an Avatar situation where 3D is. You must watch it in 3D to enjoy it. I think it's... A, it, does, it wouldn't it's suck without 3D, but... And, you know, visually... I just think it adds. Lovely enough. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other notes I wanted to mention, but John Williams did the score, and it's sort of... Uh, we we noted it's, it's actually closer to the Catch Me If You Can score than probably some of his other sort of bigger Well, I don't know scores. about the full score, but the opening is very reminiscent of the Catch Me If You Can. It's opening. sort of whimsical score. It's not well, a... Well, and also the visuals kind it's of It's not like a Star Wars and Indiana Jones John Williams score. It's a, you know, it's a lighter score. Um, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg. It's always nice to... Yeah, that's them right. For the, now, you know... They did a good I job. I want to say that I was listening to an interview with Simon Pegg or something, and like he said, like his mom or his grandmother was like, "I couldn't tell which one was you." And he's like, well, "Yeah, that's kind of the point." <laughs> <laughs> but that they were right, you know. I mean, I kind of couldn't either. It is a little silly to cast the two of them if they're doing a funny voice, and you know. But that being said, again, if you know, assuming that they were all in the green suits with the balls on them, then they did a good performance, you know. Yeah. I mean, is that how they did it? Was this whole movie green screen and acted by actors? I don't know if the voice actors necessarily were 
the motion capture sources for their characters. Well, like I said, though. Somebody was in a suit, but I don't know if it was them. Not that Jamie Bell is, like, this hugely iconic, you know, like, oh, he has these iconic moves, but I really got a sense of, like, him off of Tintin. Yeah, sure. And maybe it was just me projecting because I recognize his voice. And, by the way, I'm just going to go out. I love Jamie Bell, by the way. I know you do. He has he has a, had a place in my heart since Billy Elliot, but I've enjoyed what he's done. I mean, him. I really can't tell you that I've seen him in anything other than Billy Elliot, but I loved him in that. He was in that movie, that David Gordon Green one. Yeah, that's right. He was in he was in Undertow. He was also in King Kong, but I won't hold that against him. Oh, stop it! King Kong's all right. Yeah, um, he was probably one of the characters that gets his head slowly eaten by a bug in that delightful scene. No, I don't think he does. Um, Look how uninterested I am. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, Francesca, I mean... Well, Matt. I would say, and and knowing that they're already planning to franchise this thing, are you? would you be Would you be sort of excited about another Tintin yeah, movie? Yeah, because even though you and I don't come from a background, I mean, this was this very, like, windy, you know, mystery, and it was very fun, and there was, you know, clearly Thompson and Thomas are... You know, recurring characters, I think, and they were fun. And the, the two cops, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I mean, if, if, you know, I don't know anything about it. Again, I thought Tintin, I thought this was a movie about a dog detective. <laughs> I'm an idiot. But, um, you know, it seems like, it seems right for a franchise, because it, it was a very windy, windy story, but it was still fun, and ultimately, you know... It was a gratifying experience to go well, through I'll, the mystery of it. So if that's their thing, is that it's these very yeah. like involved mysteries that you have to pick out the clues and, and their their like, period. Fine. You know, they're they're clearly supposed to be, I guess, you know, kind of early nineteen hundreds type thing, nineteen twenties, thirties, maybe. Is it? Yeah. Don't yell at me. I just I'm not. I don't think it's the twenties. Is it? Well, I, I can't quite place it, but it's definitely a sort of pre technology. You know, era. They're using, they're using uh, Morse code. You know, tell you know telegraph on the ship. And there's, you know, he writes his newspaper stories on a typewriter. And uh, so I don't know. I think maybe more like thirties, forties. Yeah, something like um, that. I'll tell you what is kind of striking, but it's not really striking. And I know this is kind of part of it. But uh, you know, there were guns used in this. In this, yeah, it's definitely show. a PG movie. You know, and, um, it's pretty intense. But, you know, I, I know that's kind of, I feel like I've seen visuals of Tintin with a gun, so I'm like, well, good for them for not, like, going like, oh, they can't use guns. Well, he doesn't shoot anybody, but he, he shoots, shoots at He people. shoots at people sort of to defend himself, but there are people in the movie that get shot, for sure. Yeah, so. Pretty early in the movie, actually, somebody gets pretty lit up. Mm-hmm. But I, I was just, I was like, well. Good for you for not turning yeah. into walkie talkies. Well, and you know, you oh, know what else? Burn. You know what else? Always there? this always bothers didn't me a little see what bit. I did there. Yeah, I, I did. But uh, this always bothers me a little bit. This is what PGizes it too. But in, during the unicorn battle, um, I mean, people getting killed with swords is like even if you don't see blood, it's so violent to me. Right. And like the, all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, it always bothered me that that was that like little kids are going to see it because. There's just people getting 
swords. metal swords plunged into their guts, and the, and there's As like opposed to those rubber swords that I'm just saying that's a that's a violent way to die. Oh, and guns aren't that. No, it's less violent. Is it? It's, it's less violent. violent for someone to get shot. A little in less a movie. dead with a gun. It's less violent than somebody getting their guts ripped open by a sword. Maybe I'm maybe I'm sensitive as someone who has has uh, been sliced open before. Well, so have I. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Well, I was awake we've, for it. We've Boom. had exactly when the same number. I was awake. We've for had it. exactly the same number of major abdominal surgeries. For I Chester. was awake for it though. <laughs> I win. Uh, this is not a size 11, by the way. Do we really need to have the conversation about that hat well, during the podcast? because it fit me like a glove. Tell, and I tell everyone what hat that, you're, that you well, no, bought today. No, I'm not going to tell them that. Why not? Because it's embarrassing. I don't know. That you, you, bought a, you bought a Green Lantern hat. Well, I did. But it's not... This is in no way an, an affiliation with the film, which I think is... You don't support the film. This is just comic book only. It is. Right. Well, and I don't even really support that. I support cheapness. That's why I bought it, because it was cheap. <laughs> I support okay. things that are 90% on sale. Right. Oh, man. All right. Well, well I, think we've, I think we've covered it, and we definitely recommend it. And I hope we haven't been too spoilery for the people who wanted a, a little early listen about the film. But um, Well, I feel, I don't know. Have we been too exuberant about it? No, I really like it. And I think, I think it's a good... It, you know, I guess my expectations have been slightly lowered for Spielberg, but I think this is a really entertaining movie, which he hasn't made a lot of in the last 10 and years. He probably isn't going to anymore this Christmas season. Boar Horse. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely expecting that War Horse was going to be the Spielberg movie this Christmas that I loved, and that Tintin, I was going to feel like, was kind of a waste of Spielberg's time. And I don't. Right now, Tintin, I think, is as good a film as Spielberg has made since 2000. But And I'm anticipating War Horse, too. I, it makes me even more optimistic for War Horse, because I think he's got it. He's Should got it back. War Horse. Mm. Yeah, he's he seems to be... Oh, way to go. You woke up our child with a fist pump. Because shut the front door, Horse, is a good one. All right. Well, I'm just trying to think of some more things that start with. I know. The end with or I do you want to make the the like Frank from Always Sunny? <gasps> whore horse. Yeah. Nice one. <laughs> Such a whore. All right. Oh, we just took this to a PG-13 baby. Yes, we did. This podcast is quick, rated Quick, somebody stab me with the sword. With the sword. All right. Oh, well, man. We will uh, Don't. we will hopefully have Stabby. some 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 more podcasts for you in the near future, but maybe uh, maybe some more preview screenings if if the people who are sending me those out there are listening. So we appreciate them. No, they're definitely not. But they're definitely not. But Francesca, Matt, thank you for joining me. Is that a bug? All right. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Is it?